Leviticus 2, verses 1 through 16. When someone brings a grain offering to the Lord, his offering is to be a fine flour. He is to pour oil on it, put incense on it, and take it to Aaron's sons, the priests. The priest shall take a handful of the fine flour and oil together with all of the incense and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the offerings made to the Lord by fire. If you bring a grain offering baked in an oven, it is to consist of fine flour, cakes made without yeast and mixed with oil, or wafers made without yeast and spread with oil. If your grain offering is prepared on a griddle, it is to be made of fine flour mixed with oil and without yeast. Crumble it and pour oil on it, it is a grain offering. If your grain offering is cooked in a pan, it is to be made of fine flour and oil. Bring the grain offering made of these things to the Lord. Present it to the priest who shall take it to the altar. He shall take out the memorial portion from the grain offering and burn it on the altar as an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the offerings made to the Lord by fire. Every grain offering you bring to the Lord must be made without yeast, for you are not to burn any yeast or honey in an offering made to the Lord by fire. You may bring them to the Lord as an offering of the first fruits, but they are not to be offered on the altar as a pleasing aroma. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. If you bring a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, offer crushed heads of new grain roasted in the fire. Put oil and incense on it. It is a grain offering. The priest shall burn the memorial portion of the crushed grain and the oil together with all the incense as an offering made to the Lord by fire. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to be um, with you um, on this um, weekend. Delighted to be invited. Um, you've got there those um, booklets. There should be a handout in there for um, this first um, session. And as we begin, let's pray together. Lord, we praise and thank you for your word. It's a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our past. Lord, we'd be lost and would wander aimlessly without your um, direction. But you are so good and gracious and that you show us the way you tell us when we've gone wrong you tell us how to get back on track and you train us and to stay in the right way all through your good and perfect word so we pray that that word will come to us now by the power of your spirit amen um, uh, friend of mine, actually, known by Matt um, as well. He was a, a lecturer at Oak Hill Theological College, and he once um, told this story about how he got a, a guy, a non-Christian guy who was coming along to church with him semi-regularly, and he noticed that whenever the offering bag came round, 
um, the guy would fumble around to try and find some loose um, change um, and um, then put it in the bag. And it, the guy himself thought this was a little bit uncomfortable, and he decided he would do um, something about it. So the next time it happened, he grabbed the young man's um, hand, uh, and he said this to him. The Lord requires all of you, not just part of you. When you have given all of you, then, and only then, can you give part of you. Now, I don't know if they're still friends. Um, <laughs> it is quite a waggy thing to do um, to somebody in the middle of the offering, isn't it? Um, but I think that guy and that lecturer um, got to the heart, really, of Leviticus um, chapter 2. Really, what he's saying is, of God's people, and we know this, isn't it, that the Lord requires all of you, not just um, part of you. And when he has all of you, then you can give part of you. And so this gift or grain or meal um, offering should be a token of those who have already given over the whole of their lives um, to God. That the whole burnt offering of chapter 1, and that we haven't had time to look at, but do uh, read that, was given for the atonement of sin so that the people could be God's people. Forgiven, atoned for, reconciled, uh, redeemed. God has all of them. He's purchased them. He's bought them. And now they can offer back um, to God the grain um, offering. Um, I, I thank you, uh, a part of them, for what the Lord has done. And that order is really, really important, uh, hugely important. It's an order that the Apostle Paul picks up himself in Romans chapter 12 after he's spoken about uh, the first 11 chapters about their redemption, their reconciliation, the salvation, the mercy they've received from God. And then only then can you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing uh, in God's sight. When God has all of you, then you can start um, offering um, part of your gifts as a pleasing aroma before um, the Lord. The Lord has ransomed and redeemed us, the whole burnt offering of chapter 1, with the results that you can offer up your life in worship of him, the grain offering of chapter 2. And so what are we to make of this grain um, offering? Well, it demonstrates um, dedication of our lives um, to God. Uh, let me say a little bit about um, this um, word, um, this um, offering, um, that will hopefully um, give us greater understanding. Uh, the name um, is like a gift offering. Um, it's a, a tribute, um, a pledge um, offering. It's been called different uh, names throughout the history of the church. But the word was used to describe a tribute from, um, say, a nation um, that had got uh, another ruler um, over them, and they would offer up a tribute um, to them. It's the, it's the same word, a tribute offering, um, a gift um, to someone. And you see, those who have been reconciled by God want to show their devotion um, to God. They want to show that they are his uh, and that they owe God everything. And how do you do that? Well, of course, with the whole um, of your life. But also, for the Israelites, they could do it by uh, this sacrifice of the giving of a gift 
a portion of their um, daily substance. Bread was so vital um, to life for them. But they could offer up a portion of that to the Lord. A ransomed and redeemed um, heart loves to give back. And that's a, I guess that ties into the thing that uh, when Matt asked me about why they want to do this, what's the best thing about ministry. I, I just felt from a non-Christian family that I got saved and the Lord had rescued me. And I just wanted to give back. I thought, how do I, how do I give back? Well, it started by serving in as many ways as I could with the time that I had. And then eventually with somebody saying, actually, maybe you should do this um, full time. That's what a ransomed and redeemed heart does. The overflow of that is to offer up uh, gifts uh, as an offering to the Lord. Both Cain and Abel um, in Genesis, the early chapters of Genesis, when they offer their gifts, the same word is used, this tribute. It was an offering um, to the Lord. One was from the animal stall and one was the produce of the field, but both were a gift um, offering, a tribute from um, subjects to um, the Lord, from those who were loved to the one who loved them. And so the grain um, offering um, calls to a saying that those who are loyally dedicated um, to the covenant express um, that uh, to their Lord by giving the best of what um, they have. See, brothers and sisters, the grain offering um, is not made um, unnecessary by the whole burnt offering, um, but it's actually inevitable. Let me say that again. In chapter 1, you have the whole burnt offering. The Lord atones for the people. He rescues them. He saves them. And some might say, well, is the, what's the point of the grain offering? <laughs> what does it achieve? Isn't it unnecessary? No, it's not unnecessary. It's inevitable. We have to understand this, don't we? Because we, people will get into some arguments and saying, well, if Christ has redeemed us, if he's done everything necessary to atone for sin, to make us secure, to make us safe, then what, what is the part of our lives offered up um, in worship? But it's not about saying it's unnecessary but inevitable. It's inevitable that you'll give over your life fully to the Lord when he has atoned for you. You see, the only proper response to the Lord making atonement, providing forgiveness for sins, a fellowship with him, is to offer up our life as a pleasing aroma to the Lord, to say, thank you, Lord, and now, here are some small tokens, some uh, little things uh, that I do um, to say that I love you. That's the message of the grain offering. So we might say that there's gratitude is seen in the grain. A big message is gratitude. Uh, I think partly uh, the symbolic meaning behind the um, oil, uh, the reason the oils feature so heavily is about this gratitude. Um, oil was used uh, for things being set apart, consecrated. I saw in the news this morning that you, you all can rest assured we're going to have a good king because the oil has been consecrated in Jerusalem. Did you know that? That's taken place. So we, we're going to be all right. Uh, but oil was also an expression of joy and gladness. 
You see, it's not a, a begrudging gift. The people weren't to come along and just think, oh, right, now the Lord saved us and we've got to give some of our finest flour and best oil with a, a sprinkling of frankincense on top um, to the Lord. It's not about a begrudging gift. The oil was about giving something with gladness, with a happy um, heart. So if fine flour represents the worshipper and their possessions, then the oil signifies that they've now consecrated them, given them over to the Lord, and done so with a happy, glad, and joyful uh, heart. Isn't that interesting? A happy, glad, um, and joyful um, heart. It's a gift given out of um, joy. When I, I, I caused a bit of a stir when we started Christ Church Newland, we were a, a C of E church. Um, we became Christ Church Newland, and we, started, we had a membership covenant um, that people had to sign. And one of the lines in the covenant says this. Well, it says, uh, we covenant to contribute to and serve the body of Christ with the character and gifts that God has bestowed upon us. This stewardship includes... Regular financial giving, brackets, that is sacrificial, cheerful, and voluntary. Service, in brackets, that is sacrificial, cheerful, and voluntary. Participation in community life, brackets, that is sacrificial, cheerful, and voluntary. What do you think caused a stir? It was the word cheerful. (laughs) (laughs) People came up to me and said, we'll happily give voluntarily. We'll do it sacrificially, but how can you demand... Well, well, I wasn't demanding, but how can you demand that we do it cheerfully? Sometimes I don't want to serve. I turn up to the Sunday club, the Sunday school, or uh, one of the midweek groups, and I'm not cheerful about it. (laughs) And we had a meeting, and it was raised at the members' meeting. We had a members' meeting, and then it was raised, and they said, we want to pick you up on this word cheerful. And I said, what do you want me to put? Begrudgingly. (laughs) We will do these things begrudgingly, Lord. For you. Now, of course, it's an aim of people who are giving back to the Lord, isn't it? That we do so cheerfully, with a heart overflowing with gladness, the abundance of joy because of all that He's done. And we want to be able to, when your sin wrestles against it, we want to be able to say, Lord, of course, it's, it's too little a thing for me to do this uh, for you. To do so with a cheerful Hard. Imagine a husband. Imagine a husband. He, um, he goes out to work. Um, he forgets to empty the dishwasher, which is his job. Um, he also forgets to, forgets to put on the slow um, cooker um, before he leaves. So the evening meal is not going to be ready in time, and it's a busy um, family. But the good thing is, he also forgot to pick up the kids from the after-school club, so there are not many people to feed. <laughs> And then he, he walks in with a bunch of, let's call them dutiful daffodils. And he says, they're for you, love. Well, he's going to get those dutiful daffodils wrapped around his forgetful little head, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> because that's not the kind of gift that you want. Uh, but imagine this husband who, he gets up in the morning and he empties the dishwasher, which is his job. And, and he also has got a bit of extra time, so he makes the sandwiches for the children's pack lunches so that his wife's got a bit of extra time and he switches on the slow cooker and the meal's going to be ready and he, he picks up the children. He's sickening. I don't like him already. But, <laughs> but he's, and he picks up the children and he gets them home and he's also got a big bunch of rejoicing roses just to say to his wife, I love 
you for who you are, and I appreciate you. Okay, they're great, those roses, aren't they? They're going to be put in the pride of place. And, and the grain offering, it's like those rejoicing roses. It's given with a glad heart. It's just, it overflows from this person who knows the burnt offering, the atonement's been made. Christ has done everything necessary to reconcile us to the Father. And a glad heart just wants to give back because they love the Lord for who he is and all that he's done. And so it's interesting that the grain offering, um, it didn't have set times of when it should be given. It wasn't prescribed, you have to do it on this day, at uh, this time, or on, in these months. No, it was just voluntary, um, spontaneous, personal. They were expressions of gratitude. They're not taxes on worshippers, but tokens of love from worshippers. Not taxes on worshippers but tokens of love from worshipers. Um, imagine you, you buy your wife a Christmas present or your husband a Christmas present or your children. Do you ever think to yourself, that's a dad tax? Um, I do a dad tax. It's when the children say, will you open this bottle for me? You open it, you take the first drink, dad tax. Yeah? <laughs> but you don't view buying gifts for your children as a tax on you being a dad or buying gifts for your husband or wife as a tax as a spouse. They're not taxes, they're tokens of love. They're expressions of love. But how often as Christians do we see our financial giving or our services, oh, this is a tax on me, this is a worship tax. They're not worship taxes, are they? They're tokens of love, they're just grain offering given out of a, a glad heart. And the symbolism and the ceremony were... That expressions of a heart on fire with devotion um, to the Lord. See, friends, we're not only to talk about our dedication, we're to demonstrate it. We're not only to feel gratitude, but we're to show it. And therefore, there is generosity seen in the grain. Finest flour talks of the best of the best. We're giving the best of the best. Add into the mixing bowl, although not literally because it's non-edible, so placed on top, frankincense, which is expensive. This is no cheap loaf of bread that the people were giving. This is, um, this is giving tiger bread a run for a minute. Do you have tiger bread in the south? Yeah. I don't know if the good things of the north always tri you know, trickle down um, um, to the south. But this is giving tiger bread a run um, for its money here. But when you're devoted to someone, when you really love someone, you want to get a gift that pleases them. When I go into Smith's Toys, a big toy store. I go in there, and I see this 80-pound, 120-pound um, piece of plastic. It's made up of lots of different pieces of plastic, but it's in the shape of a Star Wars ship. Uh, and they call the little bits of plastic Lego, and therefore you can charge a lot of money for this plastic. And, and when I go in there, do I think to myself, I'm not paying 120 um, pounds for a bit of plastic? The answer is yes, I do. <laughs> but I find myself walking out of the shop <laughs> with the 120 pound piece of plastic. Why? Because I love my son. And to give him something out of love doesn't make me think, oh, I want to give him something cheap or is not worth this. Is that plastic worth 120 pounds? It's not. Is he worth the 120 pounds? He is. 
and the joy in his face when he opens it and he builds it and we do that together. The Lord is worth it, worth um, our finest, our best. I'm reminded of David in his attitude in 1 Chronicles 21. Um, he wanted to respond to the Lord's mercy and grace by offering a gift. You may remember the story. So David said to um, Ornan, let me buy your field and offer a sacrifice. Ornan says, no, my king, I'll give you um, the field. And David says this, I will not offer a sacrifice to the Lord that has cost me nothing. What a wonderful attitude. I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. He said, that's the right heart, isn't it? That's the heart of the grain offering. I think Isaac um, Watts brings the, the whole burnt offering in Leviticus chapter 1 and the gift offering um, of Leviticus chapter 2 together in his hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. He has us meditating on the burnt offering as we sing about the cross and Christ's sacrifice on which the Prince of Glory died. The atoning work of Christ, the burnt um, offering, reconciled to God. But then he moves us to the grain gift, the grain offering, as we sing, you know, were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, does what? Demands my life, my soul, my all. Oh, it was only a love for bread, but it represented so much more. It represented a heart that loved the Lord and that rejoiced in all that he'd done. My dear friends, it might only be one evening a week. It might only be 15% of your uh, annual income, but it's what it represents. A heart that says, Lord, my heart is yours. I'm aware of that whole burnt offering that went on the altar, Christ's sacrifice, and I just want to place on top my gift offering, my tribute offering, the, the bread, the grain offering. But the grain offering also demands the exclusion of corruption from um, our lives. God desires dedication without corruption. We mustn't defile our service with that which contaminates. That's the imagery behind the yeast and the honey. Now, the passage itself doesn't state, anything, it doesn't state why anything containing yeast and honey shouldn't be offered on the altar. However, when you look at its associations in other parts of the Bible and its usage there, it's likely because yeast and honey um, they represent the ideas of decay and corruption and contamination. So yeast and honey are associated with fermentation, which causes a natural product to start to decay and be corrupt from its original state. And for that reason, it's not allowed on the altar. Now, it's really interesting. You can take something that's alive, a lamb, a sheep, you can kill it, and it can be placed on the altar because it was alive and it now becomes dead. That's what happens when you slit something's throat. But you can't take something that is decaying and dying and put it um, on the altar. So as the burnt offering was to be without blemish, so the meal offering is to be without leaven. 
Now, Jesus spoke of the, often about the leaven of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the Sadducees and Herod, by which he meant their hypocrisy, religious hypocrisy, and their worldliness. Paul spoke about the old leaven of wickedness and sin in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. These were the corrupting influences which were not to be mixed with our service. And in all our worship of the Lord and the work that we do for him, we have to do it with, uh, without and in the absence of hypocrisy and, uh, and worldliness. We don't mix our service um, with sin. So what makes an offering uh, pleasing the Lord's sight, or let's put it another way, using the words of the passage, uh, what does it mean to remove the, the yeast and the honey? Um, isn't that a good question? If we just say, as I used to do, when I was younger, I think, oh, you know, we mustn't, mustn't sin and um, we don't want to um, sin in our service of the Lord. But what does that actually mean and how do you evaluate that in your life and how do you make progress? And I think this is um, helpful. If we're thinking about our worship of the Lord and our offerings to the Lord, um, the offering first and foremost, must conform to, with the revealed will of God. Or put it another way, we have to do the right things. Am I doing what God actually requires of me? Okay? So it conforms. <laughs> if, the Lord, if it's not what the Lord requires of you, then it's never going to be pleasing <laughs> before the Lord. So it's got to conform to what he says is right. But secondly, we ask the question, is the offering motivated by love? Am I doing it with the right heart? Am I doing this out of love um, for God? And then, thirdly, the offering must be focused on God's glory. That is, I want to have the right goal. So think about me now. Um, is it a right thing that I come and teach the word of God to people? Yeah, that conforms to the revealed will of God. That's what God wants his ministers to do. Um, am I motivated in the right way? I think I was. I, even though I don't know you guys, I wanted your brother and sister in Christ. I want to do it out of love. Um, and am I doing it with God's glory in mind? Well, I'm slightly thinking. I know a, lot of the, know a number of these people and a number of the ministers. What will they think of me as a speaker? And... Um, how will I come across? And I think, Scott, repent of that. That's not what it's about. Yeah? But it, get, it gives me some focus. What is the offering? What is my offering this weekend to the Lord? Does it conform? Does it have the right motivation? Does it have the right goal? And we could do this always to evaluate our offerings and gifts um, to the Lord. But the grain offering also speaks of the continuation of communion throughout our lives. When you bring a gift and you hand it over to someone, it speaks of friendship, doesn't it? It speaks of relationship. Have you ever had a conversation with a child? I've had this all, all the time. I take one of my children out. It's the other, another child's birthday. What shall we get with them? Nothing. What shall I get for them? Nothing. Nothing. Well, that's a bit weird. Then I phoned my wife, oh, what's going on here? Oh, they had an argument this morning over breakfast. Okay. 
Right, okay, if you don't want to get them anything, I'm buying it anyway. At least tell me what they're like. Are they into Pokemon at the moment? Don't know. You don't know. What do you mean you don't know? It's not they don't know. It's that I'm out of sorts with them. And you don't eat with people that you're out of sorts with. You don't get a gift for someone that you're out of sorts with. Usually gifts are given within the context of loving relationships. And it's hard to buy a gift for somebody you don't feel very loving towards. And yeast must never be part of the burnt offering because of its corrupting nature. But salt must always be part of the offering because of its preserving nature. Did you notice he said everything has to be seasoned um, with salt? That sealing with salt was essential. It was, it was commonplace uh, for sacrifices to be, uh, have salt placed on them. In fact, in the ancient world, it was commonplace for covenants that were made between different nations to be sealed uh, with salt. Um, and this whole idea of fellowship and loving relationship and, uh, and having a connection and salt being part of that, We've, we see it in the, in the Bible, in Ezra, when it's spoken of that um, you, they've eaten the salt of the palace. So it's that whole idea that you're, you're in friendship with somebody, you're in communion uh, with some, uh, someone. And this is what he's saying between the Lord and his uh, people. Uh, during um, locked, um, lockdown, um, we um, had um, two Iranians living uh, with us, two asylum seekers. Uh, and they actually told me, and it was really, uh, this was before I preached on Leviticus, but they, they told me that um, in their um, culture, if you fall out with a friend or a friend's been disloyal to you, they have a phrase and it says, he broke the salt shaker. He broke the salt shaker. It's this idea that he was disloyal. And here, with the Lord, this is the idea. The salt was a symbol of the, the binding and abiding nature of their relationship with the Lord. And their commitment to preserve that relationship at all costs as the Lord himself would also preserve it. And the salt in the offerings was a constant reminder of God's loyalty to them and their call to loyalty um, to the Lord. We know, don't we, that talk of faith without faithfulness is an absolute sham. Talk of faith without faithfulness is a sham. See, God doesn't require just loyalty for a time, but for all time. And isn't that the... In some respects, isn't that the, the call um, that we receive every Sunday when we gather together? And that's the call that we receive at, um, at the Lord's Supper as well, isn't it? That, that renewed um, commitment. And I guess we could say that there should be a saltiness to our services. That we gather together as people who've been out in the world where everything has been seeking to pull our loyalties away... <laughs> The pull of the world, the desires of the sinful nature, uh, the schemes of the devil. And we come back together, and together we say, no, we want to remain loyal to the, to the Lord. Uh, we confess that disloyalty in a, a confession. We sing songs that gather us and want to worship the king and say, this is who we want to live for. We take of the bread and the wine, remembering and the Lord's love and loyalty towards us and and, and saying that you know, we want to keep loyal and remain steadfast to him until he um, comes uh, again. 
a saltiness, a loyalty um, to the Lord. We are his and uh, he is ours. And this is explored, I think, a little bit more in that um, further with the part of the portion referred to as the memorial. Um, only part of the offering, probably a relatively small part, was actually burnt um, on the altar. And that part served as a token uh, or representation of the whole, and then the rest was the holy part for Aaron and his sons. So the offering itself was a form of remembrance of God's goodness and, and grace. When we give ourselves an, an uh, our offering in worship, we're saying to the Lord, um, this is for, for you, and all of it's for you. I know I've only given a part of me, but it's a token that I want to give um, all of me. But if we think that what we're saying is this, okay, Lord, you've had your tenth. <laughs> we're good. I've paid my spiritual tax, and now the rest is for me. We misunderstand and the whole grain, and the grain offering, which was a token and a portion of a life dedicated wholly. It's our entire life that the Lord deserves from us, all our time, all our money, all our abilities, all our passions. This is conveyed beautifully, isn't it, in the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Just think of some of the words, take my moments, take my days, Take my hands, take my feet, take my voice, and let me sing always only for my king. Take my silver and my gold, take my intellect, take my will, take my heart, take my love, take myself, and I will ever only all for thee. That's the call of the gift offering. Take my life, Lord. I know it's just a bit of bread with some oil, with some frankincense, frankincense placed on top. But what I'm saying is, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, um, to thee. That's what Paul means when he exhorts us to do everything we do to the glory um, of God. The person who gave the grain offering at the tabernacle, at least the person who did it with a true spirit and a loving, grateful heart, did not return home and think, right, I'll just live for myself now. And although it's got nothing to do with um, worship, um, who, who put your hand up here if you know the real thing? Sorry, I didn't realize you all were going to be so young and I'd be old enough to be most of your dads. But, I, I, but the real thing? Come on, perks? The real thing? The, the, the group, yeah? I think you did that out of sympathy. They, they have a song. Um, um, you to the, they sing, you to me are everything. You to me are everything, the sweetest song that I can sing. Oh, baby. Ah! <laughs> Now you're coming out of the woodwork. Pardon? Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> well, I've got to keep going because I've not got to the part. But they say, they, what does they say in the chorus? Now you've got the best of me. Come on and take the rest of me. Okay? Oh, baby. Oh, baby. <laughs> we'll put the old baby to one side. Now, that's the grain offering. Finest flour representing the worshiper. Oil of... Um, gladness. Okay, no yeast, no honey, no corruption, no contamination. And we're really saying to God, now that you've got the best of me, come and take the rest of me. Not you've had your tax, and so I'm off. Now you've got the best of me, come on and take the rest of me. 
And that's how we leave. But remember the order. You can't give of yourself as a sacrifice to God unless and until he has provided a sacrifice for you, a sacrifice sufficient to make, to atone for you, to forgive you, and to fit you for fellowship with him. That's Leviticus chapter 1, the whole burnt offering. The Christian life flows from the atonement that, the, that Christ made at the cross. But since Christ has been our whole burnt offering, who made atonement for us, Paul speaks in effect in Romans 12. He says, well, now give your life as the grain offering, holy and pleasing in God's sight. Let's do it without the yeast of corruption, seasoned with the salt of faithfulness, and combined with the oil of joy and gladness. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we praise and thank you that you are such a good Savior, that you have turned for our sins, brought us forgiveness, that you have offered yourself upon that cross to redeem us. And now we understand, Lord, that if the whole world was ours, it would be an offering far too small for love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Amen.